Good morning, church family. If you have a Bible, please turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. We are in the second week, uh, many of your first Sunday, in our series of beholding Christ and building his kingdom. It was uh, a dicey road week last week, and so I know a lot of you turned, tuned in um, from the comfort and warmth of your homes, but it's good to see everyone this week. We are talking about taking all that the Lord has shown us in our first 10 years as a church. So we've had seasons where God really had us emphasizing missional fervor and seeing the lost found in Jesus, and we've never left that. But as we grew in maturity, we grew in emphasizing growth in godliness as a church, growth in doctrinal depth, growth in obeying Christ in all of life, in our day-to-day life. And so this series is about us taking all of those things and rolling them all up together so that we can press on into maturity in Christ as a church and so that we can together build a church that's going to be here 40 or 50 years from now, 100 years from now. And what kind of church will we be? And what will Brattleboro be like because Rivertown Church is here? loving and preaching and serving and shining with the light of Christ in our town. So last week we talked about beholding Christ together. That's where all of our building has to start is with a vision of him that actually transforms us into his likeness. And this week we're in a kind of intro into building his kingdom together. So I've titled today's message, Joining Christ in Building His Church So in honor of the reading of God's word, I ask that you stand with me. Um, I'm going to be in Ephesians 2, just 19 through 22 to start, and then we're going to be um, throughout the book of Ephesians this morning. So this is the word of the Lord. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we are your people called by your name. Peter talks about us individually being living stones, being built together into a living temple, a living, breathing church that you are pleased to inhabit by your spirit. So we pray that you would come dwell with us here. Holy Spirit, that you would come and anoint the preaching of your word and unite it to our hearts by faith so that none of us leave here without having trembled before your word and that we don't leave here unchanged. We praise you that you are speaking by your good word. And I pray that you would open our eyes with the miracle of your revelation so that we might see and hear in truth. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. We are presented with a vision of building the kingdom of God in the world, in the word, of it being like a cosmic building project. We began with life with God in the garden and all things end and are summed up in 
the garden city that fills the whole world as its king rules over all the world and as fills all things. Now, the Lord Jesus announced at his first coming the inauguration of his kingdom. So he came preaching things like repent and believe for the kingdom of heaven is what? At hand. Right here, right now. The king of the kingdom is here. And so he came to establish his kingdom on the earth. And we know that when he returns, he will consummate the kingdom, meaning the building work will be complete. And the king will have built his church and Zion will be established in all the earth and we will forever be with God as his people in his finished kingdom. Ever since Jesus ascended to heaven, including right now, he has been building his church. He has been building us to be the outpost of the kingdom of God. And theologian and pastor John Calvin said that it is the task of the church to make the invisible kingdom visible. This is what is happening in all the world is that King Jesus is taking ground as he builds his church and as we share the gospel and the nations come into the church and as we proclaim Christ and we grow up into maturity that his church actually fills the earth and his kingdom grows and expands as we join Christ in building his church. This is how Jesus taught us to pray that his kingdom would come and that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Literally, that people would begin to obey Jesus, the king, enthroned in heaven everywhere as we pray and labor to see his kingdom come. The truth is, you are always building a city or a kingdom of some kind. This is what Augustine talked about, that there are in the world the city of man and the city of God, and they're built... By love, you either are in love for yourself and in aims of building your own kingdom, laboring for things that do not matter, laboring for things that are transient and will not last, in love for yourself or in pursuit of your own pleasures, or you will labor to build the city of God, in love for God, building things that will last because you're building for Christ's sake with the means that he has given us for the building. Now, we know it is actually possible to think that you are building the city of God and to actually be instead building the city of man based on having vain ambition and selfish motives or laboring not in God's strength but in your own strength. So before we ever talk about how we're going to build as a church, I want to lay down for us this foundational principle this morning that God is the builder and we build with him. So, depending on your background, we've all probably been exposed to this kind of language that it's not I, but it's Christ. And that is 100% true. That it's not, I don't build anything, it's all God who does the building. But there is a way where that can be so hyper-spiritualized that it leads to passivity among God's people. It actually means that we're not part of the building work at all, and we're just going to sit by and let God do it. But that is not God's design. God's design is that he build 
and that he employ his people by the power of his Holy Spirit in the building work. And so scripture is clear. You can see these principles at play, just held together, not, not even intention, just working together in perfect harmony. In Psalm 127, verse 1, <clears throat> we read that unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. So you actually see both of those things there. That's not just saying that unless God builds it, that it's all in vain. It's saying you actually are laboring. You are actually exerting sweat and working and doing the will of God that he has ordained for you to do, but you're doing so by the power of God's Holy Spirit or it's all in vain. If you are laboring in your own strength under your own direction for your own kingdom, it's vanity. But if the Lord build the house through you, then it will not be in vain. That's what Paul said, be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your work in him is not in vain. So the Lord Jesus in Matthew 16, verse 18 said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So we have this promise this hope, this surety from the Lord Jesus that this building project of his will not fail and it will not be stopped. And the picture is of spiritual strongholds. You just picture our town or any place in New England where you felt like or you've said before, well, this is just hard ground. This is spiritually hard soil or this is just a secular place. Those would be the enemy's strongholds. Those would be, as it were, the gates of hell. And what Jesus is promising to you and to me is that these gates, these strongholds are coming down because I am going to build my church and Jesus is on the offensive. The enemy has set up gates to keep the church out and they will not stand. So, for some of you, that might be one of the, like the only thing that you need to take away this morning is a renewed faith that Jesus will be king over Brattleboro, that the gates of hell will not be able to stand against the onslaught of the church laboring and building in love with the gospel of Christ, seeing the captives set free and those who are in chains uh, set free into the freedom of the glory of God's children and his church actually grow and expand here. So the last passage I want to go to to illustrate this for you is 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through 9. The church had been talking about following different teachers. Well, I, I listened to Apollos on this or I listened to Paul on this. And then Paul is writing to them saying, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So you see they're both, right? Paul is planting, Apollos is watering. They're both working and laboring, but unless God gives the growth, nothing will happen. That's why he says, so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. So in this illustration, the church, the people of the church, are the field and the building itself. Paul and Apollos are presented as builders. 
And he's saying, we labored over you and we built and you were being built up. And there was one foundation that was Christ and we were building on that foundation. And then they're also presented as builders, which we're going to get to in a moment. So you as the church are both the building and the builders. And we are called as the church both to be built up and to be a part of the building. If we labor, even in his kingdom, for our own sake or in our own strength, because of whatever notoriety it might bring or because of how it might make you feel or to offset, to kind of make atonement for some kind of sin, any other reason aside from for the glory of Christ, in the strength of Christ, it will be vain. And God will remove our lampstand so fast, just like he tore down and scattered the Tower of Babel. Because he will not allow us to erect something to our own pride. He doesn't allow the city of man to stand. But if we will set aside our glory and our preoccupation with ourselves and our unbelief, and we actually avail ourselves and our gifts and our resources for the building up of Christ's kingdom, then who knows what God wants to accomplish through this church here in Brattleboro as we see Christ build his church and join him in the work. And I think this is one of the marvels of the story of the Tower of Babel. It's not the main point. So people of the world had gathered together literally to build the city of man as an altar to their pride and their ego. But God says something astonishing about the work. It's, it's, what I'm about to tell you is not the main point of the Tower of Babel, but it is astonishing. He says in Genesis 11, verse 6, The Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. And so God confuses their languages and scatters them. He, he takes away their unity of mind and heart and scatters them so that they will no longer be able to work together. But don't miss his, his commentary on the power of the unity of mind and heart for people that were not even laboring for God and weren't doing things by the strength of God. And he was saying, nothing will be impossible for them if they actually work together on this. And so how much more and how much greater are the possibilities if the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is of one heart and one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, building something that Jesus himself is already building and wants to build. And so we need to learn as a kind of photo negative, look what mankind was able to do with a unity of mind and heart, even when they were acting against God. How much more could we accomplish as the church if we united our mind and our heart and our strength and our gifts and we came together for the building of Christ's church with his blessing. I think we'd see generations discipled to know and treasure Jesus and we would see the lost found and those bound in chains set free and Christ would receive the glory that he's due here in Brattleboro. And so where do we start? How do we pray and act towards God's kingdom coming and his will being done in Brattleboro as it is in heaven. How will we build the city of God here together? Well, like with every building project, the first place that we have to focus is on the foundation, 
And so I've titled this Building Down, Laying the Foundation. So we saw in our initial text in Ephesians 2 that we are members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. That is the foundation of every church or it is no church. Paul said no one can lay a foundation other than the one that was laid. That we have this teaching of Christ and his gospel and the faith that's been delivered to us by the apostles, the the doctrine that was once and for all delivered to the saints that the church is built on and we cannot have any other foundation. But the picture is once this foundation is laid of the church being built up and built out until the building work is complete. Now, I want to set up a, a truth for us to carry with us where we're talking about paying attention to our foundation or being built up or being built out, which is where we're going. And that is we need to give ourselves to the building of the church. But when we say that, And when we think that, we cannot let the enemy distract us into thinking that we're part of the building work in general just by living as Christians generally, just by reading our Bibles and being kind to our neighbors and just trust and hope that we're being part of building up of the body of Christ generally, globally. This part of what the Lord's been moving us into is giving concrete expression to our obedience. So just like John would say things like, no one can say that he loves God if he does not give outworking to that love for God in love of his neighbor. We also cannot deceive ourselves into thinking that we are being faithful as members of a global body of Christ if we're not being faithful as members to a local expression of the body of Christ right here. It's way easier for us to um, convince ourselves that we're being faithful when the applications of faithfulness are very general and ethereal and out there. But it's far different when I'm faced with loving my neighbor right in front of my face. It's really easy for us to think about building the church out there with general faithfulness. And it's much harder and much more concrete when I'm called to building this church right here, right now. But for everyone who's part of this church, building up our local church, building Rivertown Church, is a practical outworking of joining Jesus in the building up of his church. So all of these things that are true of the body of Christ globally have to be true locally if they're going to be real. So he says, I didn't, he tells the Corinthian church, I didn't lay any other foundation than the one foundation that can be laid, and that is Christ Jesus and the teaching of the apostles. And so in every place where Paul went, he's proclaiming Christ and laying that foundation. And then there's a church that's built on top of that as people are coming to life in Christ, and the church begins to function like the church in that locality. And so no one can lay a foundation other than the one that was laid. That is true globally. There's only one foundation of the global body of Christ, but it is also true for each local church that the foundation of Christ and the teaching of the apostles must be laid at the outset or it will not stand. It is not a church. 
So I want you to get a visual for building a foundation. And I've got a slide for you, I think. Um, yeah, so Hannah, can you go to the next one real quick? Sorry, I've got them in reverse order. Now, the Lord Jesus talks about building our house on his words. And he says, if the one who builds his house on my word, who hears my word and obeys them, is like him who builds his house on a rock. But I want you to see that to actually get down to the bedrock and actually get your house built on a rock so that the foundation, the pilings of the foundation actually make it down to rock, it takes digging. It takes depth. And so this next picture is of these skyscrapers. And in general, the taller the skyscraper, the deeper the foundation has to be. The higher you want to build, the deeper your depth and your foundation. And so I want to propose to you, I don't know if you can see this, so you've got these towers. I, I zoomed in this picture over here so you could see what's going on right here, but these are pilings that are going down. In this case, for this Shanghai Tower, the tower goes up 2,000 feet in the air, and below the ground, 282 feet down, they've drilled pilings to give the foundation for the building depth so that it can be stable and can stand. And so I want to propose to us that our doctrinal depth is like building a deep foundation for the church that before we ever can build up and out in a meaningful way, we have to make sure that we have tended to our foundation. And there is a process, like if in one of these buildings, they needed to repair the foundation. They can actually go in and put in underpinnings. They literally go in and they excavate out pilings that are there that have lost their strength or their stability, their structural integrity, and they can actually drill them out and re-pour them and, and provide these underpinnings that would secure the foundation, that would be able to support the weight and the structure. So... We are not a new church. There's not a new foundation being laid. And the foundation that was laid when we started is Christ and his gospel. We have a good foundation. But I want to make sure with you that as we talk about building the church and growing up into maturity, that we have enough rootedness in sound doctrine and in Christ himself that is able to support what God wants to do. This is about being rooted and grounded in Christ and drilling down with doctrinal depth so that it can support the building work that God wants to do here. I think Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3 verbalizes this prayer that we ought to have for our church as we kind of close out this building down together. Paul writes, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, so that according to the riches of his glory... He may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you, remember this is, he's writing to the church. It's not just you individually, but you collectively church. Being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. 
Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. That's our prayer. God, get glory through the church and not just the church in general out there, but get glory through this church. And God, don't just get glory in this church in this generation, but for generations to come. God, help us to build it here and now with doctrinal depth, with roots down deep into Christ so that we're strong and filled with his Holy Spirit. And we are actually handing a church to the next generation that has rootedness in Christ, that has doctrinal depth. That is going to happen. We're going to have messages in each of these things as talking about leading yourself and leading your family. But we want to get really, get really practical this year when it comes to how are you providing underpinning to the growth of the church, to your family, to your own life? How are you going deeper in Christ this year? So when we talk about leading yourself, I think a huge part of that is a willingness to be led. As we as a church provide opportunities to go deeper in sound doctrine this year, will you avail yourself of opportunities as your pastors labor over you and seek to help you as we, we lead in the underpinning work and we excavate out and we pour in fresh concrete and there's fresh strength in the church, then will you avail yourself of opportunities to go deeper in sound doctrine this year? There will be opportunities. And the question is, will you lead yourself and as God has ordained for you, will you lead your family in the role that he's assigned to you to take yourself and men, your wives and wives and husbands, your children, will you go deeper in the Lord Jesus and be rooted and grounded further in his love for his glory in the church this year. We must build down in order to be strengthened in grace. So this initial building direction is a call to commit to being built in addition to committing to building. But the next direction that we must build if we're going to be faithful to the Lord Jesus this year We build down together for doctrinal depth and for strengthening of what he wants to do, but he's also calling us to build up. Now, when we finished our basement apartment, and I'm using the term we very generally, Greg, um, when Greg finished our basement apartment for us, um, we were looking up in the planning documents of our neighborhood what was allowed And there was this HOA, and they had all these rules about what could be done and what couldn't be done. And in those documents, when I was reading them, as I was given them by the, I think, planning commission in town, it said, no basements. And I was like, this is a bummer because I have a, you know, we need to finish this basement. I want to rent it out, and it's it's a good plan, and I don't know what they mean by no basements. But it turns out what was meant when I went and talked to them about it is that they didn't want people to build a basement with the intention of building the second story of the house on later. So the rule was don't, not don't finish the basement after your house has already been complete, but don't start with the basement 
and then go live in the basement and then go build the rest of the house later. Now, that is what we must not do. We need to have the same rules for us as a church. We cannot set out to have the kingdom of God filled with a bunch of just one-story basements with the best intentions of building on later, when the time is right, when I have more free time, when, when our family's in a different season. And all the while, we just keep kicking down the road everything that God wants to do to build us up and to build us out. We must press onward and upward toward maturity in Christ together. And so how do we get there? Well, you may not even have to flip a page in your Bible. I don't. Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. Our focus is going to be starting in verse 11. But I want you to have the context and to receive the blessing of this writing to the church. Paul says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you, the church, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who has also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. Hold on to that. Verse 11. And he gave the apostles the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Those are leaders in the church. He gave them to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So he's saying this is what maturity looks like. You're not tossed to and fro by false doctrine, however genuine or however convincing it might seem. You're not ignorant of doctrine. We're not not Christians who think, oh, well, if you study doctrine, it'll it'll dry you up, kind of take away your spirituality. It'll make you heady. No. He says maturity in Christ looks like knowing sound doctrine. He's He's not giving that to you like, making it different based on your personality or whether or not you like to read or not or whether or not it's hard to understand. He said, no, I don't want you to be simple-minded and be tossed to and fro by the waves of every single kind of doctrine that may come along. Well, what should we be instead? Verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We could spend a whole sermon series right here. I want to give you, because I know this church. This is a pastoral message with a word for our church. So I'll just give you two takeaways of how we can build each other up 
this year and how we can build up this church this year. The first very ties very much in with building down together is by knowing and studying truth together. Knowing and studying the truth together. He says, speak the truth in love. In order to speak the truth in love, you have to know the truth. So this year, there are going to be additional opportunities to go deeper in studying truth. And as we grow in the knowledge of the Son of God together, so what he says, growing in the knowledge of the Son of God, that we also must grow in speaking truth to one another, even as we love each other. So we discussed this in our community group this week. I was thinking, man, I want it to be the culture of our church. This is a very practical takeaway for you. I want it to be the culture of our church. When you hear a message like this on a Sunday morning, that it is just normal for us. It's not awkward. It's not anybody trying to put you on the spot. Nobody thinks you're weird or trying to be ultra spiritual. You say, hey, man, what did God, hey, sister, what did God speak to you through his word this morning? What if that was the content of our conversations in the afternoon? Now, this is, if, if the gospel of the grace of God reigns here, then it takes away all feelings of self-consciousness, all feelings of people trying to be holier than thou, feelings of, I didn't read my Bible this week, and so I feel guilty when you ask me this question, and all of those kinds of things. It should just be like breathing to us. If Jesus is my life and Jesus is your life, then it should be the normal course of our conversation, whether it's we're doing the Bible reading together or you're reading somewhere else. And the content of our conversations is at least sometimes, at least maybe even most of the time, hey, what's God been teaching you through his word lately? How awesome would it be if that was the content of our conversation? That, I think that would look like actually speaking the truth and love to one another, where we're actually building each other up and we could have these moments in our lives where I spent time with the Word and my time was kind of dry, but I go to Elijah and I say, man, what's God been teaching you through His Word lately? And he tells me everything that he's been reading out of Jeremiah, and I'm built up. And he gives to me what I did not even have on my own from my own time in the morning. And we all forever jettison our self-consciousness, our judgmentalism, our insecurities, and we step out with boldness. Why is it hard to do this with believers who also love the Lord Jesus? It's because the enemy wants to cripple you from asking with an unreasonable fear to keep the body from being built up in love. It's a powerful weapon in the hands of the church. What have you been learning through God's word lately? Honest answer, man, I haven't read God's word in two weeks. Oh, man, I want to encourage you. His word is life. Let me tell you what I got this morning. And you encourage and you build each other up because this says that God is over your brothers and sisters and he's working through your brothers and sisters and he's in your brothers and sisters. That's amazing. Every single person in this church, God is over them, in them, through them. And he wants to work in you to build them up. No person left behind until we all attain to this maturity of the faith in Christ-likeness. So, speak the truth in love to one another. Second takeaway in building up together is for you to get equipped for ministry. We referenced this last week when Paul talks about having this ministry by the mercy of God, and he's talking about his ministry, but 
how each one of us could really say that, that you have a ministry by the mercy of God, that this text is clear and there's other places like you could go to um, 1 Corinthians 12 or Romans 12 or 1 Peter chapter 4 and he talks about all of us receiving these gifts from God for the building up of the body. So if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, he has given you his Holy Spirit and he has gifted you uniquely just like he's gifted you uniquely in a natural way. There's such a myriad of gifts in this church, and I, I'm always blown away when I see the kindness of God and the excellence of people in the work of their hands or some natural gift. But it's also mind-blowing when I see somebody exercising a spiritual gift that I'm not even supernaturally inclined to, and I see it working where somebody is loved or somebody is shown mercy in a way that would not happen if God had not given a believer the spiritual gift of mercy. And what Paul is saying here is that when each part is working properly, that's a pretty important contingency. When each part is working properly, as God designed, as God gave you a gift for, then the whole body grows. That's incredible. That means in 2024, this entire church family can grow. And nobody has to be a superhero Nobody has to do more than God's designed. You don't have to have some New Year's resolution, resolution that's like, yes, I'm going to build the whole church. It's just that Nehemiah chapter 3, I'm just going to build the wall in front of my house. I'm just going to use the gifts that God's going to give it, that he's given me to build the body. But this should be our desire, is that God would use the gifts that he's given me to build, again, not just the church out there, this church. And so there's a question for us. What are your natural and spiritual gifts? And how might God be calling you to use your giftedness for the building up of this local body of Christ this year? Now, there is a kind of misguided notion of humility that I have struggled with a lot in my life. And it looks a little bit like this. Oh, I'm not, I'm not gifted in that. Brother, that's all, if it's anything in me, it's all the Lord, but I'm not gifted in that. Or I, I'm unwilling to acknowledge a giftedness because it feels like it might be edging close to being about me or, or be prideful in some way to acknowledge that God has actually gifted me in some way. And we confuse ambition for the glory of God with vain ambition. But if we do that, then there's no way to actually say that God's gifted you without feeling prideful in some way. But the only alternative is to bury the talent. And so Jesus tells this parable where he gives or the, the master entrusts different amounts to different servants. And each makes a return on the amount that was entrusted to them. But one servant goes and buries the talent. And he could have done so in his humility. <laughs> now, in that case, we know he said, listen, I knew that you were a hard master and that you know, I just went and buried it because I didn't, I, I thought that you would at least want this back. But for the maker to gift you and for you to ignore it or to downplay it or to employ it sparingly is a disservice to his kindness and to his glory and to his kingdom. He has gifted you. Why? He has gifted all of you. Why? 
not so that you could spend it on yourself, not so that you could use it on your pleasures. He gifted you and strengthened you so that you could build up his body, the church. That's why he gave you the spiritual gifts that he has and even a lot of the natural gifts that he has so that you could employ it in the building up of his kingdom. And so last week we asked these calibration questions. Here's, here's some more. How has he gifted and equipped you? And are you employing the gifts that he gave you to use for him in the building up of the people of God? So Paul writes in Romans 12, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Let us use them. Meaning it's possible for him to be giving you all different kinds of gifts and then be sitting idly, not being used. For, so for some of you, the first step is becoming an actual member in this body to become a covenant member of Rivertown Church and give expression to your membership in the body of Christ out there to membership right here. But then as you join the church, as you become a member, we labor and use our gifts for the building up of the body so that the whole body grows. <clears throat> I got to speed through this last part. The last direction we build is out. I'm not speeding through it because it's the least important because it's massive. Remember from Ephesians 4 that Christ ascended into heaven so that by his spirit-filled people he might fill all things. Everything is going to be summed up in Christ. And in the end, the whole world is his, subjected to his rule and his reign. Ephesians chapter 1, the beginning of this letter, Paul said, God the Father put all things under Christ's feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So don't miss this. God wants to fill this church with his Holy Spirit so that we might go out and fill the earth with his fullness. We might actually shine with the light of Christ in every place, be the aroma of Christ in every place, whether you're at work or you're at play or you're around your dinner table, that it's the aroma of Christ as he fills us with his spirit and we fill the earth with his fullness. And so the way that we read, I think last week in our Bible reading, Isaiah's writing to the people of God, the city of God. And he says in Isaiah 60, arise and shine for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will arise upon you and his glory will be seen upon you. And he goes on to describe how God had made his people beautiful and clothed them with garments of righteousness. And he says things like, the nations are going to come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. It's exactly what Jesus describes. Arise and let your light shine before men so that they will see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. So there's to be a, a, a difference about us. We don't shine just with the same kind of good works that the world does, but the brightness is going to be our holiness. It's going to be our courageous and prophetic witness. It's going to be our love and the joy of Christ and his life and his kindness shining forth in good works that our town can see and they give glory to our Father in heaven. So, I think this is an important word for us for this year. We cannot be content to live and worship in the shadows in this town. So one of the questions for us is how can we make 
Jesus not ignorable in Brattleboro? How, how do we go from just worshiping with glory? This is awesome to be here together under the word of God. But how do we let our light so shine before our town so that Jesus' glory fills the town? And Rivertown is a light, a city set on a hill that cannot be ignored and cannot be hidden because Jesus is king and we're shining with his holiness and with his good works and with a prophetic witness that he is the Lord. We must conspicuously shine with the light of Christ or we risk being a lampstand with no light. I want you to listen to these piercing, convicting words from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Remember, he's writing a lot about a German church that worshiped God in the shadows but ignored a lot of the atrocities around them or was unwilling even maybe in their humility to speak out against the horrors that were around them. And Bonhoeffer writes, followers of Christ are the visible community of faith. Their discipleship is a visible act which separates them from the world or it is not discipleship. And discipleship is as visible as light in the night as a mountain in the flatland. Picture that. Brattleboro being the night or a flat land and Rivertown Church and Agape and Green Mountain Chapel being like a mountain range that are so visible because Jesus' people are following him. To flee into invisibility is to deny the call. Any community of Jesus who wants to be invisible is no longer a community that follows him. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand. There is that other possibility, that the light will be shaded intentionally, that it is extinguished under the basket, and that the call is denied. Listen to this. The bushel basket, under which the visible community hides its light, can be fear of human beings, just as much as it can be intentional conformity to the world for some arbitrary purposes, whether it be missionary purposes or whether it arises from misguided love for people. Meaning you can think that you have the heart of God and you're seeking to love your community and seeking to be winsome. And in actuality, you're just being a chameleon that becomes exactly like them and the light is gone. But it may also be, he continues, and this is even more dangerous, a so-called Reformation theology which even dares to call itself Theologia Crucis, or Theology of the Cross, and whose signature is that it prefers a humble invisibility in the form of total conformity to the world over Pharisaic visibility. In that case, the identifying mark of the community ceases to be an extraordinary visibility. My prayer is that this year, and then we've been having this conversation in our community group. And if you have not been part of our community groups, we want to invite you into the conversation with us. We don't have all the answers right now. But the question for us is, how can we conspicuously be a blessing in our community? How can we conspicuously be more of a prophetic witness in our community? How can we be part of the solutions to some of the bondage in our town so that our town knows that there is a king in heaven who is on his throne, who is king over Brattleboro, and he actually has the answers to the bondage that they're in. 
There's real forgiveness in a real Christ for real sin. And our town needs him. And we are his plan to go out and to build the church, not just to build down and not just to build up and be content with a nice-looking, mature church, but to actually see the nations come into the church as we shine with the light of Christ and we conspicuously not, we don't avoid this because we're aiming at humility. This has been us for a long time. We don't have to have our name on it. We don't have to get recognition for it. We don't have to be the one doing the thing. And so because we don't do that, in effect, in our humility, we've been hidden. And so how do we conspicuously love our town in a way that doesn't bring glory to us, but that shines with the light of Christ and people are drawn to his light? How can we this year be the city of God set on a hill, a bright lamp, shining so that it gives light to all in our town for generations to come. God wants to fill us and help us to fill his town, this town, with his glory so that we walk and shine with his light and Brattleboro comes to know and worship Jesus. That is the goal. So we've got to pray and to build this year to build down and to pay attention to our doctrinal depth and make sure that we have a good foundation. Every one of us, you individually, you, your families, us as a church, going deep in sound doctrine and then being diligent to use the gifts that he's given us to build each other up in love and to build the body as a whole and grow out until Jesus fills us and he fills all things. Let's pray. Father, you taught us by your son to pray, hallowed be your name. Make your name holy here. Fill the church with a fear of you and all of you so that we regard you as holy here. And you taught us to pray daily that your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we join our hearts right now to pray this very thing, that your kingdom would come to my life, to the life of my family, to the life of our church, to our town, so that we can truly say, in Brattleboro, as it is in heaven. Lord, please don't let the enemy deceive us into just building generally out there as we have a general obedience and a general discipleship. Please, Lord, give us grace to obey you on the ground level and to actually be a part of building your church and building this church so that it shines with your light for generations to come. In Jesus' name, amen.